Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand via Zoom for the season finale edition. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey, Andrew. End of season 2020 recap of the Access Vikings podcast. Going to do the obit on air. We'll end up discussing where they're going to go from here, the roster moves, what is atop the to-do list in terms of replacing potentially two coordinators in Gary Kubiak and Marwin Malouf. Uh, we know Malouf is out, and we know Gary Kubiak is considering retiring uh, after his season. So we'll get into all that, and then we'll answer plenty of your questions uh, that you sent us uh, as the developments come. Guys, I think it starts with the question of coordinator in terms of Gary Kubiak, right? The best thing that's ever happened to Mike Zimmer outside of Matt Patricia and the NFC North. Um, I think we need to figure out moving forward. It seems like Mike Zimmer wants to keep Gary Kubiak's offense even if Gary's not here, is that fair to say, Ben? Yeah, I think it is. I, I think the way he approached that question, very, very nice little sneaky uh, Matt Thank Patricia you. shot there, Thank by you. the way. Because um, <laughs> he'd had a lot of trouble with the Lions before Matt Patricia came yeah. to town, and that magically <laughs> got cleared up. But, yeah, I, I think – I guess I read his comments the other day or when we heard them in the press conference. Um, I took that as Gary has already made up his mind or has told them he's – had planning to retire and Zim is trying to um, make every overture he can to get Gary to reconsider. That's kind of how I took that. I, I think from what I've heard, there's certainly been no final decisions, at least as of earlier this week when I was checking around on it, but it sounded like he was going to take a little bit of time to, to think through it. But I think a lot of people expect he will eventually uh, decide to hang it up and I think if that happens, yes, that they're going to keep the offense the way it is because they, they wanted to do that last year. And that was half the reason Gary Kubiak came in in the first place. And I think they feel like, I mean, Mike Zimmer laid it out in terms of all of the things that he likes about it. The question I, I have is then, does that mean you go to Clint Kubiak or Rick Dennison, or do you go get somebody else who has worked in this system, but may bring another wrinkle or so to it i mean and, and this system is is all over the league now i mean this is green bay this is cleveland obviously with kevin Stefanski. this is san francisco uh this is the rams to an extent you know probably those would be the teams that have all had the, the mike shanahan disciples among their coaches so there are other people out who are out there who have run this do they do it with the heavy run personnel the same way that the vikings do in the case of San Francisco, yes, but if those coaches get rated to go to other teams, that's going to be a question, too. I, I think the most likely scenario is probably Clint Kubiak, but, um, you know, but we'll, we'll see if they end up trying to broaden the search a little bit. Yeah, Mike, after the Vikings did so well on offense, I mean, is, this, is, is that what you want to hear in terms of how, they want, how they're going to move forward? I think so from a, from a couple standpoints. I mean, one, they did, they did have a good offense this year. They were – what the, I think football outsiders final ranking was maybe eighth or ninth in DVOA. You know, they were like around 10th or 11th in yards and points and things like that. Maybe even higher than that. Um, you know, the offense wasn't really the problem this year. There was maybe a little bit of offensive consistency problems where you had some games where they just were like three and out, three and out, and then maybe a little bit 
predictable, maybe some tweaks where you don't run so much on second and long things, things like that, where, you know, is everything they do to set up the pass completely necessary when, when the passing game seems like it's, it's got some good things going for it. But I think overall it, it, it's smart because it was the, the best feature of this team this year. And, you know, from, from a continuity standpoint, I mean, let, let's going from, you know, going from Gary to, to Clint Kubiak would, would probably be the closest thing to continuity uh, aside from Gary Kubiak staying. It would still be a sixth, new coordinator in six years, basically, if you go all the way back to North Turner, Pat Shermer, John DeFilippo, uh, Kevin Stefanski, Gary Kubiak, and then, you know, coordinator X next year. And then Kirk Cousins has had the same thing where he's had, you know, two different coordinators in Washington his last two years than the kind of the revolving door here. So anytime you can preserve some semblance of continuity within that framework, even if it's not the same guy, I think that's, that's important. But at the end of the day, if, if Kubiak retires, Gary Kubiak retires, it is going to be a six different person in six years. And that is, I think it's a little bit problematic, at least, even if it's not, you know, not a mid-year firing like we've seen in, in some of these cases. Yeah, and there are a few there are a few head coaches as well-versed in terms of hiring offensive coordinators as Mike Zimmer. And it's some of it's for a good reason, because you have Pat Shermer get a head coaching job. You have Kevin Stefanski get a head coaching job. But you've seen absolutely the other side of the coin in terms of bringing in new ideas and just hoping it'll work out with John DeFilippo. And of course, not only did the, not only did Zimmer not think the on-field stuff worked out, we know the off-field stuff didn't work out either when it comes to that. And so I guess it's that balance with Mike Zimmer of, does he want to introduce a wholly new idea? For a lot of the reasons you just mentioned, it does lean pretty heavily toward keeping somebody from within because I think he has had this history both with John DiFilippo and in in reality with North Turner where you know you kind of started with the North Turner thing with the grand experiment of I will run the defense you run the offense you're legendary coordinator guy from the 90s I'm defensive mind that can build this great defense and we'll, we'll make all this work and it didn't obviously in the end so I do sort of think, especially where he's at, heading into year eight and probably needing to win, that I don't think he's going to have a lot of interest in introducing new personalities, dynamics into the mix that could potentially screw up what he thinks has been a very good thing. Now, the question is, how do they go about it? Because the NFL has expanded the Rooney Rule, which, of course, covers interviews for minority candidates and if you hire Clint Kubiak for example and just give it give him the job he's not a minority candidate so do you have to go out and talk to a person of color before you make that move and if so is that Anthony Lynn is it Kennedy Polamalu from within um I I don't know I, I I think the internal route is very likely how they go at least as as I see it but the mechanisms of how they get there are something of a question, I think. Yeah. I think it might be too an an open question more so at special court or special teams coordinator, I should say where Marwin Maloof got fired after two years, the um, issues, the, the problems they had on special teams were such a long list that I had um, people on social media reminding me of, don't forget they had two punts blocked against the lions. Don't forget there was this or that. There was just so many things that went wrong that that was the least shocking move. Um, of to start the off season, and Mike Zimmer announced that at a season-ending press conference. Um, I guess Mike, I want to start with you quick. 
um, mm-hmm. because I did like Patrick Royce coming out and saying, this is just kind of an excuse for a head coach to fire a guy because that was a fantastic that, column. Cause that that's side great. of the ball. Didn't get God bless Rosie, man. That was a <laughs> fantastic was, column. I loved it too. It was great. I, I think we need to separate the importance of the job from the importance of having good special teams. I don't know how much a good special teams coordinator does. Um, you know, maybe I would imagine the biggest thing that a special teams coordinator does is, is they're organized and they get you, if a good special teams coach probably could influence coverage on kickoffs and punt returns, maybe more than, maybe more than anything else. They're not going to like find a magic formula to make a kicker kick better or a punter punt better or a snapper snap better. They might have some, you know, some here's how you should practice kind of stuff. But I think there probably is something to, you know, cover, you know, punt return schemes, things like that. Maybe there's some, some, something to that, but the bigger thing is they, they need better special teams. I don't know if they acquire that from coaching or better players, but again, I go back to, I think the football outsiders final DVOA, or at least going into the last game, which didn't really matter. I think they were like ninth on offense, 19th on defense and 31st in special teams. And it's, it, I don't know if we can, you can't just say special teams wrecked their season because they had a lot of flaws in this year's team, but I don't think it's outrageous to say that with a better special teams this year, they would have squeaked into the playoffs. And so it does kind of show you the, the importance of getting that right. Um, but I think we're maybe overestimating how much of that falls to the coordinator himself. Well, what was the, they had a home game that they blew late that they gave up a, like a 20 yard punt return. Um, was it Dallas? Yeah. It's a good point because you had the, the penalties with Chris Boyd, you had, return issues you had a fumbled punt a couple of different times with kj osborne you had blocked punts you had missed field goals you had i'm sure i'm forgetting something a long snapper change in the middle of the year i guess but cornell patterson returning one for a touchdown there's that yep uh zimmer and marwan maloof having a difference of opinion uh, on the sideline after that play but yeah i mean it's and you wonder too given i mean their their fields their starting field position was like the worst in the nfl and it was like a fairly significant number of yards difference between where they started drives and when opponents started drives and you you have to wonder too if mike zimmer is sitting there looking at that with the evaluation of his defense saying well if we had not had to start so many drives defending short fields or shorter than we'd like field position um maybe we would have had a few more stops and maybe my defense would look better. So that probably factored into the thinking as well. And I, from what I heard on Maloof, it, it was not a surprise that, I mean, his contract was up after two years. Typically these coaches have two-year deals. It was not a surprise that they let him go, but it, it sounded like there was some talk of potentially bringing him back for this year, but I think everybody decided that this, this is probably best if we move on. Let's uh, let's get to some Twitter questions here. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Facebook Live and the Access Vikings podcast. We are going to finish up with the mailbag season ending, uh, season finale mailbag, I should say, recapping the entire 2020 season and looking ahead to the 2021 offseason. Um, we've got all your questions you guys submitted on Twitter, so thank you for doing that. You can always send them to me at, at Andrew underscore Kramer. That's K-R-A-M-M-E-R for those interested. Uh, we're going to start off with a question um, from KJ West. It is It did get a little bit into what we were just saying, but for the Facebook Live audience here, 
we should start off with the, the coordinator job that's opened up, offensive coordinator. He asked, who's the best candidate for it? Um, and Ben, do you think it is Clint Kubiak internally? I think it's the most logical candidate. I, I think it's either him or, and people did not like this when I threw it on Twitter the other day, um, I, Rick Dennison would be the other name that I, I would look at, and people didn't like it because of how the offensive line played. But our job generally, as I see it, is to tell you what we think they'll do, not what we think they should do necessarily. And Rick Dennison has been an offensive coordinator before, has called plays before, didn't go terribly well when he did in Buffalo, but has been an offensive coordinator for Gary Kubiak a number of times. And I could see that being something they consider. Clint Kubiak would be the most logical. The quarterback's coach to offensive coordinator pathway is a very well-trod way to get there. And the fact that, as Mike Zimmer said earlier this week, your offense should be what your quarterback does best. Um, Who better to know that than Clint Kubiak? Yeah, their quarterback's coach is a good point. Um, It would be, as you had mentioned, gosh, for Cousins, that'd be what? How many different play callers in different years? Did you did you already list that, or were you just talking about Minnesota? Well, it would be four in Minnesota in four years, and I think he had two in his last two years in Washington. So I think it's the same as the Vikings, where it's six in the last six years. Yeah, and that's that's quite a bit. And Cousins has talked about having the same system is nice, but certainly when you have a different voice, that, that lends to a, a certain transition that people don't really think about when you change play callers in terms of, he said, just knowing – how quick a play is going to come in in your headset when you're waiting in the huddle, um, how they like to operate, hurry up two minute drills. You know, that was a sticking point with the Vikings this year. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of different things that you kind of, they, they like to use the preseason too, to kind of get on the same page with that stuff. And obviously last year, uh, the offense had zero drives in the preseason. Um, Mike, do you have any extra thoughts on that or should we take another question? Yeah. I mean, we, we did cover it a decent amount. I think Clint Kubiak is probably the most likely like the scenario, like, like Ben said, um, you know, I, the, the continuity thing sticks out to me and it, it's just, the, the more I think about, it, I mean, there's, there's offense that Shermer ran in 2017. Is that, I mean, that's schematically, that was reasonably similar to what Stefanski and Kubiak do, right? It's, it's not the exact same thing, but it's like the real outlier in all this. Threw be, a lot more within that system. Yeah. But the, but 2017 though they let they they ran the ball a ton that year too though they I think they had like the highest number of rushing attempts or rushing yards that year. So they, I, yeah, they they had a really they, good mix, yeah, they, but it, I think that the amount of time they threw was still more than it is now, and uh, they certainly were in the shotgun a lot more. And that's yeah. the other feature I remember being a little different. The Filippo move was a little more of the this is similar to Shermer kind of thing. Okay. okay. Um, you know, more of the, more of the Andy Reid flavor and less of the Mike Shanahan flavor, I guess, yeah. would be how I'd put it. I mean, the, the Doug Peterson, Matt Nagy type branch of that West Coast scheme was more Shermer, uh, probably Brad Childress too, DiFilippo. I mean, Stefanski had a lot of that as well in his background, yeah. but his affinity for the Kubiak way of doing things, the quarterback under center, heavier personnel groups. That'd be probably a little bit of the difference there, but yeah, Shermer certainly could could fit it as well. Like DiFilippo feels like the real outlier in the, the past four years of coordinators, yes. and the, the least happy Mike Zimmer has been with the with the <laughs> offensive coordinator in the last four years. So I think it's safe to say the, the thought that he would go that 
that he would want to go and make a wholesale change and try something entirely different. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Um, Kevin's got a good question here that'll open up some of our roster kind of talk here as, as we look into the offseason. What are the Vikings' biggest questions on their current roster? Who's going to be a free agent? What do they have to address? Um, Kevin asks, how much gets blown up due to cap space? And this kind of encompasses all of it. Um, I guess, Ben, where do you let's start with the guys who are currently on the roster for next season. Uh, where do you think they start in terms of some of the highest numbers and highest paid veterans on that roster? Well, I think the the place they start is probably Kyle Rudolph. I mean, and we, we go through this, we've been through it, I think, a couple of times now. But this, to me, feels like the year where it finally happens for a couple of reasons. He's, he's due to count like $9.5 million against the cap. They had started, I think, to phase him out of some of the passing packages, even when he was healthy. I mean, you saw a lot more where the in, in passing situations, if they were in 12 personnel with two tight ends, it was – Irv Smith, Tyler Conklin, or even Brandon Dillon a little bit when he was in the mix. I think a couple of those weeks that Irv Smith got hurt <clears throat> after doing the gritty. Um, but I, I think a lot of that would suggest that, okay, he had like 26 catches or something and, and I think a one touchdown. So those aren't going to be numbers that they pay the same price for. So then it comes, like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, is what value do you put on that? And does Rudolph see the same number as being where he wants to be? Or does he think that he's still got more value in a place that maybe makes him a little bit more of a red zone target? You know, I think that's the question, but I start there. I am doing my uh, who stays, who goes thing for the paper tomorrow. I had Shamar Stefan as a guy that is out, which is probably going to raise a few eyebrows given how the Vikings talk about him, but if you, my logic on it is this, if Michael Pierce is back and he's your nose tackle, Shamar Stefan then has to be your three technique. And they, I think know and have said, we need more pass rush there. So if you go get a three technique tackle, you're probably not keeping Shamar Stefan around when you can save $3.75 million by releasing him and they're tight on cap space. So I think it's those, I, I actually think there's a decent chance Riley Reef stays from some of the things I've heard. I, I think he's, he likes it here. He likes the system. He likes being in a team that runs the ball. He likes being close to home in South Dakota. I think so. The way I think they go about it is you you cut Rudolph, you cut Shamar Stefan. Uh, they may not do that. We'll see. But I, I think there's certainly a, an argument to be made. I think you could restructure Reef. You could extend Harrison Smith, who is in the final year of his deal. You you could kick the can down the road and, and give him some new money with a, a lower cap hit. And then Anthony Barr, I think you probably say, hey, we're not going to pay you $15 million, which I think is his cap number. So pay you 13 or whatever the, the base is. But let's restructure that in a way that works to keep you around. I, if you do that, I mean, it's not a ton of money left to spend, but you've got probably $10 million to play with if the cap is at its floor. And, and maybe you end up better off with Super Wild Card Weekend and um, – the playoffs and the Super Bowl maybe bring in a little more revenue. We'll see. Yeah, and those are the main guys that I guess um, in terms of when you look at the veterans who they could squeeze out in terms of some money restructures. You mentioned Harrison Smith, Anthony Barr. Those are younger guys. Well, Harrison's not, I guess, totally younger anymore, but those 32. are guys. Shocking. Is he really? Holy cow. I mean, 32 next month. Um, those are guys who you know they want to keep around. And Barr's, Barr, I think a lot of people ask about him. Like, can they cut him and keep Eric Wilson as if it's going to be some kind of easier replacement and, and cheaper? And I, I don't 
I don't see that happening one because of Ben, you would know the contract mechanics more, but I don't think bar you can get out of that deal and nor would they want to. I think they value, I, I think you can get out of it. I think you can save some money. There's, I think there's a fair amount of debt money that's, that comes with it, but a lot of this, I think comes down to how they value him. And, and yeah. this is probably different than probably a lot of people think of this. I, I think a lot of us look at Anthony Barr and say, well, okay. Um, he doesn't come after the quarterback and, um, doesn't put up huge numbers. So what's the, what's the fuss, but I think they still see him as being a, a pretty big piece of that defense. And I think they, they feel like people play them differently when he's on the field. He's a guy you have to account for simply because of his presence leering over at the top of his center is imposing. Um, so I, I, I think, and frankly, he's a guy that they set out to build their defense around. He was the first guy they picked. I think that still matters to some degree. Um, I, I think he's back. He would be, uh, I think it's like a seven. I have the numbers up now. It's like a seven point eight million dollar dead money. If you cut him, you save like seven point two million. So you're basically cutting it in half. So it's a lot of dead money. You'd save some room, but um, I think if you do all that to keep Eric Wilson, I, I don't know that I see it. I think it's more likely that Barr stays. Yeah, I think Eric Wilson's going to go and get a similar contract somehow as Eric Kendricks in terms of being able to earn maybe even ten million a year. Yeah. But- their run defense suffered so greatly without Anthony Barr. And I understand the pass rush productivity gets kind of um, maligned with him quite a bit. And he's not the most productive pass rusher, but the way they like to set him up against opposing running backs in pass protection sets, tight ends, um, they really view him as a mismatch that, that still pressures the quarterback much more than he sacks the quarterback. Um, And I think they missed that so much last year. And they think if we just plug him in, uh, Eric Wilson was not the same blitzer. So anyway, I miss a lot of tackles too. Wilson. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I think I think they're going to keep Barr, and I just I think they're going to find a way to work around him and maybe extend him. Same with Harrison Smith, and then the guys though that they could squeeze, Mike. It could end up being a Riley Reef if they got him on a new deal, I guess, um, or they could just threaten to cut him again, like they did last <laughs> in September. Um, and tight end Kyle Rudolph. I think those are the two veterans that people talk about the most. Yeah, my my concern in this is that. You know, a well. One question is: In committing to Reef, are you then committing that Ezra Cleveland is a guard, not a tackle? And then, you know, part B, like, even if you kind of are trimming the edges and you know maybe getting rid of popular guys like Rudolph in this and and having ten million dollars for you know draft picks, spare parts, uh, you're still not leaving a whole lot of money for actual improvement from a seven and nine team and from a defense that was you know historically bad uh, in a, for a franchise that has had some historically bad defenses, you know, the, the worst, Mike Zimmer called it his worst defense. Like, so I get it that some of that will be made up by the return of, you know, injured players. They, they uh, no doubt had ton of, ton of injuries. I think Daniel Hunter Pierce just absolutely wrecked them in the middle. Um, you know, Kendricks later in the year and bar the whole year. That's a lot of talent. And you, know, you get another year out of the cornerbacks. They're a little, they're a little older, but, if you're talking about meaningful improvement instead of just standing still, they're still, they don't have a lot of cat maneuverability, even if they can run it back in a sense by doing what they do. There's one other, well, there's one big move they can still make. And here's one other little one. I would just raise the possibility of Mike Hughes. What happens there? He's, I think they'd save like one seven. If they cut him, there's some dead money involved. 
I'm, I'm curious to see what they do because I think they're, I know there've been internal deliberations about what his future looks like. This neck injury has been a problem for a couple of years and, and it's a health issue, but it also, I think they have wondered if it affects the way he plays. And I, I think that's understandable. I mean, we've talked about that a little bit. I think it's human nature when you've got that in the back of your mind as you're going out to make a tackle on a football field. But I do wonder if he's around, I think they don't have enough depth at corner to completely write it off. But I, I wonder what happens there. The, the big maneuver they could make is the elephant in the room it, that wears number eight, the, the quarterback. Yeah. They could, and I'm, this is not a trade Kirk Cousins thing because I don't think that's going to happen. And Kirk Cousins is the quarterback here, I, I think, in all likelihood in 2021. Um, the question becomes, what do they do with that contract? Because to remind people, and I, I know we've said it a lot, but his 2021 base is guaranteed. His 2022 base becomes guaranteed this year. So, and, and that Marks, base, right? like, it, like the third day of the league year, they have a yeah. lot of guys that Riley Reef, Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen has a guarantee that comes in. Um, I think Anthony Barr does too. So they have, they have a lot of those sort of rolling guarantees that they like to do that all hit uh, the third day of the league year. So, you know, middle of March, March 19th or something like that. Um, it makes me that that number with cousins deal has always made me think is that a red light for another restructure this spring do they go and do something with that so that his cap number in 2022 is not 45 million dollars um i i would not be stunned if they went and addressed that again to try to kick the can down the road a little further now cousins has not wanted to do the long-term deals because i think he feels like there's going to be a market for me, even if I'm not locked away for the next five years. I think Mike McCartney, his agent, certainly has made that a focus. So, and in this case, it puts you in a good spot because you have all this guaranteed money, you have these high cap numbers, and you can say, hey, you don't get the benefit of the cap savings unless you give me something in return, which is very much what he did the last time through. So um, you could do it. I, I think it's not the easiest situation but if you're looking to clear big cap space that would be the lever that could have the most effect even if it comes with you know maybe a bill to pay down the road hey you would also you would also save 10 million dollars if you traded him to the 49ers not gonna happen <laughs> throw that out there Sorry. he's the guy I, here i, I think. know i know it was it also worked so well last year to extend Kirk cousins and tag anthony harris worked out yeah worked out great are we we're operating we're operating the assumption that harris is gone right yes that's that that leads yeah that leads to our next question um we got a question saying which free agents will we extend so to list them out it's anthony harris atop the list it's it's eric wilson whom we talked about um dakota dozier um jaleel johnson uh, amir abdullah sean mannion brett jones and the list goes on from there todd davis um i don't see them keeping any of the, the high-priced guys, which would be Anthony Harris and Eric Wilson. I think both those guys, regardless of how people think they played, I think they've done enough to show that they can be full-time starters in the NFL in different situations. I just don't think that's going to be necessarily here um, in Minnesota in terms of the money. What do you guys think about the rest of that list? Yeah, when I was trying to figure this all out today, I, I guess I found myself projecting a lot of those guys to come back more so than maybe you think. Um, I had Amir Abdullah back 
I mean, you could you could go the other way and, and keep Mike Boone. I had Mike Boone leaving and Amir Abdullah back, A, because of special teams, B, because he's played a little bit more of a role in third downs. We saw it with a couple touchdowns this year. And, and C, I do think the voice he has created for himself in that locker room matters specifically with some of the things they're doing social justice wise. And, and that's not going to influence football decisions. I don't think they're going to make a decision because of that, but it does, I think, add another area in which they think highly of him and, and see that he's doing a lot of meaningful things. So um, it's a, it's a nice sort of icing on the cake kind of thing. So I, I think he's here. I think, um, who was the other one? I, I actually thought Todd Davis on a cheap deal could be back. I thought he was well, probably the best of the villain linebackers. Well, what's, what's their linebacker depth? I mean, if Wells gone, like if you, like if Kendricks and or Barr get hurt again, like their linebackers were just, it was not pretty this year. Even when Wilson was, you know, in, in the lineup, like that was the story of the last few games. Like they, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Davis is the answer, but they need to replenish that depth in some way. Yeah, they've got they've got Blake Lynch, uh, undrafted rookie who started some games. Cameron Smith coming off heart surgery, um, and then yeah, Eric Wilson, Ben Gedeon, I believe is. Um, they let him go after yeah. after a couple of concussions, and there's no question whether or no understanding if he'll play football again at this point. Um, so yeah, that linebacker depth's been a, kind of a sticking point for a while. I remember Zimmer, I think it might have been before the 2019 season. He said it was like the worst he had had, and yeah. that was before Eric Wilson really took a step forward. That yeah. was before Ben Gedeon. I think they had pu- they put him in as that run run stopping linebacker on first and second down, but. He was kind of unspectacular in that role. And so Wilson was really the guy that was like the saving grace. The fact that he developed as an undrafted free agent, gave them that depth, became a full-time starter. It's a great story, but one that they can't afford to keep, I don't think. And so is there going to be that next guy coming down the pike? They just love to try and turn these late round picks, you know, your Edmund Robinsons, whatever, um, Blake Lynch's, try to turn them into linebackers. They don't usually spend they don't usually spend a ton of draft capital, I should say, or, or certainly not free agency money um, at, on depth at those spots. So I think Troy um, Dye does anything for you there. Actually, I totally forgot about him and that's unfair. Cause yeah, <laughs> I think, I think he, I think he is a guy they like quite a bit, certainly. So um, yeah. he's a guy that could maybe develop into that next Eric Wilson type. If the Vikings have their highest hopes for him. Um, Real quick on the other free agents. I, I think Mannion is back. I think, you know, other people may disagree on that, but They've got Jake Browning, Nate Stanley. To me, if you'd had a preseason to play those guys and see what you have there, it's maybe a little different story. I think Mannion, you do probably another cheap deal and not a ton of guaranteed money in it. So if one of those guys takes off in the preseason and you say, okay, this guy can be the number two, and Jake Browning I think would be probably the the better bet there. But uh, if that happens, then maybe you can move on from Mannion. I I think Mannion's back. I I think guys like Brett Jones – could be back as well on cheap deals. Yeah, Mike, you don't want to hear this, but I I think they could bring Dakota Dozier back. Um, I, not as a starter, but I think cannot be as a starter. <laughs> watching him the entire last year, I'm thinking this guy is the ideal kind of bring him in off the bench for a spot starter too. Just yeah. you know, because he's so versatile in terms of playing center, playing guards. They love him because he's a, a versatile, intellectual guy that can handle all these different spots. The question is, he's not very good at being a full time football player. So you've got to kind of bring him in off the bench, I think. And that's frankly what he should be. He was a career backup before anyway. 
he should be that now. And I think they like him enough. He's a Rick Dennison guy. I think he's going to stick around and be that kind of backup. And then you better hope that they draft somebody uh, or sign somebody that can come in and be that answer opposite whomever, if it's Riley Reef at guard, if it's Ezra, whatever, they just need to, they need to find somebody else for that start. Yeah, hundred percent. But they only have so many cracks at the draft. I mean, like we've talked about, they, they pick what we've the 14th and then they don't pick again until like the mid seventies. Unless yep. they do some uh, maneuvering. So they've got a lot of holes to fill and not a lot of high profile draft capital with which to fill it. They've got uh, yeah, high profile draft capital and you can dominate the seventh round. <laughs> they got a lot of fourths. A lot of fourths. They, do have, a, they have a lot of thirds and fourths. I think they have like yeah. five picks in the third and fourth round combined. So I think what those could turn into on day three. Well, you could probably. <laughs> if, if you were going the other direction, you could probably turn those into a couple of picks in the top 60 at least, maybe, but I don't know if they're going to do that. They did. Yeah. They did. But they just think what it could turn into on day three, though. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. Um, all right. Let's. Well, let's go to another question here. We got um, one from Be A Dancer. Is Daniel Hunter going to be healthy in 2021? That, that's the question. That's a good, right? question. That's a good question. And is he going to be happy? Ben. Ben, look into your magic ball and tell us what you see. That, that's the question. Uh, yeah. Should I do the shake it and ask again later thing? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so I point to no. Um, is he healthy? I think so. I, I mean – it's hard to say that with a neck and I'm certainly not going to believe that he's healthy because Mike Zimmer said he thinks he's going to be healthy and yeah, sorry Zim, but you lost the right to any benefit of the doubt on that with the tweak thing. So, I mean, we'll see. I, I would tend to think that a herniated disc. Yeah. I mean, he's probably be able, be able to go. I, I would think, but, um, I guess that to me is a bigger question than the, is he happy thing? I, I think they'll figure that out. I, I don't, I just, I don't see that as being a huge deal. I, I think they know what he means. I think his relationship independent of the business side of things is good enough that I, I think that won't be a huge issue. I think they'll figure it out. The question would be more health-wise going forward to me. Yeah. And, and Daniil decided obviously in October to, do that season ending surgery after getting a second opinion and not push it back and try to play in what was obviously a lost season for the Vikings. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens contract wise, because we've all documented how underpaid he is um, for being how great he is. So that could be another thing when we talk about the salary cap, the ramifications, how it could trickle down. If they have to somehow give him more money, um, they can maneuver the cap and make it work, but that's just another check that the owners are probably going to have to sign if they have to do that. Um, and real quick, that is the thing with all this cap stuff that, I mean, and I, I am not cap is a myth guy. Um, you know, I, I, because there's, there's always a bill to pay. The cap is malleable in the sense that if you are willing to spend cash over the cap, you can make these things work because you, you pay cash and then you defer the cap hits to later. And it, it that used to not be their way of doing things, but in, since they've gotten into this pay everybody, give everybody big deals kind of thing, it has to be the way you do it. The trick with that, though, is that you have to have owners willing to write the checks, and the Wilfs have always been willing to write the checks. Does any of that change when you're coming off of a year where you had no fans in the stands and you had a high-priced roster that underachieved? I, I don't know. I, I, I tend not to think so, but when we talk about this cap stuff, that is the secret sauce to the way the Vikings do it, is that you have owners that say, we will spend the cash to go over the cap, hence the name of the website, and 
make it so that we are not just sitting at the cap and we can't sign these people because we can't afford them. We, we, we will give them the cash and, and make the cap accounting work down the road. But that is the reason the Vikings are able to do what they do. Where's the money, Brzezinski? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, Quite really uh, tied the room together. <laughs> uh, we got we got a question from Lee here. He wants to know: Are the temps getting warmer on the coaching staff in the front office after a seven and nine season? Um, what do you guys think? I don't think so. I don't. I, that's not. That's. I don't know. I have, I've got no special insight into that, but I don't feel like this. I don't feel like any changes are coming in that regard to you guys. I, I think the laugh at your Lebowski joke. <laughs> I think if they would have finished four and 12, uh, maybe that would, we, we could be talking about that more after the one and five start, but you know, they, they can probably sell injuries. They can probably sell body of work. They just got extended. I don't think there's an appetite to make a move. I think, I think next year is a year to watch. If you see them go seven and nine again, I could see that being a time where a move is made for sure. But I don't think anything's going to happen right now. Do you? No, do you I don't think it, I don't think they're going to do anything. I, I think if they were going to do something, they would have probably done it already. Um, I think it would have happened Black Monday. I think the fact that both Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman have new deals is a factor here. I think the fact that they had the number of injuries that they had, which, um, Mike Zimmer had the numbers at the ready um, on Monday and has talked about it quite a bit in the last couple of weeks for whoever has ears to hear, maybe in Minnesota, maybe in New Jersey. Um, you know, I, I think <laughs> there's a reason he brought that up and it's valid. I mean, they have the years they've gone to the playoffs have been the years they've been healthy and the years that they have not, it has cost them it, either this year. They had a lot of injuries in 2016 when they had a chance to go to the playoffs um, not probably quite as bad in 18, if I recall, but, uh, yeah, the, the years they've been healthy, he can say, well, Hey, if we're healthy, we go to the playoffs. The problem with that is you can never really guarantee it. I mean, they, they like to talk about the competitive advantage they have with Eric Sugarman. Um, I, injuries are random. I, I don't think that has a lot to do with where they end up, but there's effects of the way they do things that we can talk about another time. But I, I don't think that you can count on, oh, we're going to be healthy and everything's going to be great. You, you, I think you could sell it for now, though. I, I think that'll be the approach there. And the the saving grace for Zim is it's an odd year. And they make the playoffs in odd years. The thing I wonder at some point is how many one-and-dones or wild card round, divisional playoff round, whatever exits are enough where the Wolves say, okay, we, we want to try to see if – another group can get us to the Super Bowl. I, I don't know. But if they remain competitive and they can prove it's a quick turnaround, I think they'll at least get the chance to do that. But the seats are probably warm. I think it's, yeah. And I think Lee's asking too is more so for next year, like Mike said about, you know, yeah, it's warming up for next year in terms of like, if you have that continued sustained losing seasons, which we have not seen under Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer together. Um, Cause yeah, as you mentioned, it's oscillating. It's winning season, losing season, 500 playoffs, no playoffs, playoffs, no playoffs. Um, Mark Wilk, the last time he spoke was right before the regular season started. And in his last public comments, he had said they're happy with the quote, continued success and continued knocking on the door. Well, if you continue losing like they did last year, I would presume that yes, the seats are getting a little warmer um, because as everybody will keep telling you, it's a results-based business. And if they have another season where let's say they barely make it 
or they don't make it to the playoffs, I don't see why they wouldn't entertain something like that because of how much money this ownership group has sunk into this team. Why would you not expect results over the course of what's stretching into a, a, a decade now with these two uh, guys running the team? Well, and the other thing is that you mentioned the money they've spent. The, the shiny new things are still new, but they're not brand new anymore. I mean, U.S. Bank Stadium is headed into year six, believe it or not. Um, TCO Performance Center would be headed into year four. Um, not that the training camp facility is a ton of the reason that anybody comes to follow the team or not, but they have a lot of investments there that they, I think, want to see make money in. And certainly the stadium, they've invested a lot of money. So part of the reason the continued success thing is important is because it helps keep the brand strong. I mean, you don't have fans not showing up to games or showing up with bags on their heads or, you know, things that you see with teams that lose a lot where the fans are really, really discontented. And we saw and certainly heard a lot of it towards the end of this year, but the discontentment has not reached that point where, ratings drop, ticket sales drop, uh, reaction from fans had, takes this sort of nasty turn. I, I I don't think you've seen that because the success has been enough that um, their brand has stayed fairly strong and, and they've done a good job of kind of promoting that narrative as well. So were that to change, I think some of this maybe becomes a little different story too. And I think also not that this is going to be the deciding factor, but they do want to not be embarrassing off the field as well. And they bought this team as a very big embarrassment off the field. And yes. since un- under Mike Zimmer and, and Rick Spielman, well, more so since Zimmer came in, it really hasn't been much of an embarrassment off the field. Yep. Um, and I think that matters to them. I think not turning on ESPN and seeing, you know, whatever going on and having your team as the headline because somebody did something off the field, like brought something through airport security. I don't think that that's really going to be something that, I think if that were to still be continuing, we would have a very different discussion. Um, but really, it is, does come down to their on-field results. That's um, a good point, though. I think the brand thing is a good point, and the not bottoming out thing is a good point. Like, just looked it up quick. Franchise has never lost, never had three consecutive losing seasons, three consecutive seasons of double-digit losses. They've only had two consecutive seasons of double-digit losses like three times, and one of was their first two seasons ever, like 60 years ago. So, And 10 and 11. They have, yeah, 10 and 11 was, was the last time they did it. And that was, you know, a transition from, you know, a pretty clear transition from a very veteran team with Favre. And then they were going to starting over with Ponder um, to, to whatever extent that was. But um, so they, they don't really, they don't bottom out like that. And I think there's a, there's a ownership probably values that maybe more than fans who say, we got to start over. We got to rip it down to the studs if we're ever going to win a championship. Um, it, one other point to that too is is that's is the idea of a 2021 hot seat or proving ground is that enough to make you not want to think about extending cousins this year because you wouldn't want to saddle a new GM and head coach potentially even if it's not Wilf's decision that you wouldn't want to have him locked up that far down the road if, if a potential new head coach wouldn't want that you already are. No, the, the thing is, I don't think they have an out because let's say like what you're talking about, if, if you decided let's ride it out on the current deal and, and they can still do that in the same management can extend cousins this time next year and be fine. Um, but let's say they decide to, to ride it out and then move on from management. Whomever's coming in to, to control the Vikings is taking on a $45 million one year contract that has 35 of it guaranteed. 
for Kirk Cousins, which is absurd. And so I think that's almost part of it. That's almost part of, of the ploy to keep Rick Spielman and, and Mike Zimmer. They can almost go to ownership and say, you can't really move on after 2021 uh, in a totally new direction, at least at quarterback, because financially you are absolutely tied to this guy unless you just say we will take $35 million in dead money just to move on from him, which I don't think any front office would do. So or, if say, or, or if you say new head coach, new GM, this is your quarterback for one year. Kirk Cousins is going to do a credible professional job and play it out. Even if he's killing your cap at 45 million, and then you move on after that. I don't know. It's okay. It's yeah. occurred to me he'll also get you picking 15th. Yeah. What was that? He'll, he'll also get you picking 15th. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to be picking number two. Right. Give right. The, yeah. the guy. Yeah. With him. I don't think. That's a good point. Um, all right, guys. Well, we got one more question, and then we'll call it a, a podcast here for the 2020 season through uh, at least week 17 here. Um, Randball Stu asks, can any of you dunk a basketball right now? What makes him think we ever could? <laughs> you know, ben is, like, taller than us um, and seems the most likely candidate to ever have dunked. I could – back in the day, I could maybe graze the rim, uh, the under part of the rim. It's not the other I could never – I'm like five ten. I can never jump. You're dunk. saying back in the day, Mike ran in the gym lunch. Couldn't couldn't reach up there and grab the rim. I played. I used to play a lot of basketball, like just just for fun, like two, three, four times a week. Like that was like my main form of exercise. So when you're kind of in basketball shape, you start being able to jump a little bit better. Not like <laughs> I never had a great vertical, but like now when I haven't played basketball in like 15 years, really, and I've you know my primary form of exercise is like long long distance running. Uh, no. Not even close. I'm sure Ben's in the same camp. This, yeah, I was, I was like a graze the rim guy as well back before I started running. Um, running mm-hmm. distance running kills your vertical because mm-hmm. it turns all the fast twitch muscle fibers into slow twitch. Your calves get shorter and thicker every step you take. You just can't jump the same way. And then, uh, you know, we're white dudes in our late 30s or older, so. You know, 44, 44. yeah. I mean, I'm 30, I'll be 38, 38 next week. Um, so no, um, I, yeah, yeah, I could graze the rim at one point, but yeah, distance running plus just being a a dude that's getting older. Uh, no, I I could throw down on the like the the seven foot hoop where you you could shrink it down. (laughs) The best, I had one of those in my driveway (laughs) grown up, and yeah, I used to, and this was like early 90s just so kind of fun. back and hang on the rim and yeah, yeah you just throw so down fun. those that's great yeah, the little that's... ball that i could actually palm yeah, yeah that's so that fun. sure he didn't put any specifications on it so mm-hmm. do you want that yeah let's go I can do yeah that. I'm, I'm like five seven and a half and was an offensive <laughs> lineman in high school so i was a corner three guy just stay in the corner shoot the three that's all i could do that's all i could do so no the Spud question web over here it's yeah. never the tall people it's never the tall people who add the half inch to their height <laughs> that's 100 percent true um yes so uh, the, the answer is no the answer is no to me no so all right guys well thank you very much for joining on facebook live on the access vikings podcast we will talk to you guys later in the off season maybe you should get off the podcast